This is the Campus Hoops podcast, one half of the crew. This is Ian. We're coming to you with our first episode since the unfortunate breakout of the coronavirus and the end of the college basketball season, NBA season, and of course, all sports. Joined by my other half, Eric. How have you been social distancing? Good, man. It's a unique time these days, obviously, and I'm sure everyone is getting tired of seeing not only no basketball, but no sports in general, except for bowling, it sounds like. So I think uh, it's, it's tough. It's definitely different and makes you find some things to do that you probably haven't done in a while. But at the same time, you can find the positives of it and being with family and connecting in those ways and keeping yourself and others safe during this difficult time of COVID-19. You know, usually our, our plan in episodes is to go over a game that is upcoming and we hope to correctly predict and, and break down how we think that will go. Uh, we didn't get that chance this year with March Madness being canceled. So what we're doing today is reviewing two games that Eric and I both agreed would happen based off of Joe Lenardi's last bracket release and going into those games specifically in a way that we each felt a different team would win that game so we're going to be going through one Sweet 16 matchup and one Elite 8 matchup, followed by a new mini game we have. Um, but Eric, our first one is the Sweet 16 of the South region, which would be number two seed Creighton versus number three Michigan State. You know, I know we disagree with these two, but uh, take it away. How do you see these two teams matching up? Yeah, so give it out there right now. Our disagreement this one is Ian had the Creighton Blue Jays, and I went with the Michigan State Spartans. Obviously, two great teams, Creighton, a team that shoots the ball at an extremely high level. Uh, that would be the number one key on the scattering board for Michigan State if they were to go into this game, I think, is running Creighton off the line and just letting, making them beat them from inside the three-point line. Uh, obviously, just with multiple threats on the perimeter. I think it's important that Michigan State stays – Stifling on defense in this in this game, if it were to happen, and I'm, I'm probably going to say that too much if it were to happen. But um, uh, I think the con the contrast and differences in this game, though, is is big. Uh, I think Michigan State has a kind of dynamic duo, if you would say, with Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman, and those two together obviously have great chemistry. They've been together for three three years now, three or four years and just seemed to always be uh, somewhere at the top during March. And obviously Coach Izzo is known as one of the best coaches in March. So I think this is going to be a great game. I think the physicality that Michigan State brings gives them a little bit of edge, in my opinion. But I say it still goes down to the wire. And they just beat Creighton because of the rebounding and being more physical with them uh, inside the paint. Yeah, uh, Creighton's definitely not the best rebounding team. Um, but surprisingly, both of these teams, you know, have had issues on the offensive side. Michigan State, obviously, completely different level of that. They've been known for rebounding over the past decade with Izzo. They're not as great at it this year, but, you know, you're definitely taking Michigan State's rebounding prowess over, you know, pretty much anybody, even in a down year. But as you hit the nail on the head, Eric, 
reason why I like Creighton so much in this game specifically has to deal with the Blue Jays' backcourt. I was looking at it earlier, and the trio of point guard Marcus Zagorowski, shooting guard Tyshawn Alexander, and Mitch Bullock have combined for 249 made three-pointers this season, which would put them tied for 108th in the nation amongst teams who have made three-pointers. So for for instance, in this game, um, Michigan State as a team is one of those programs that would be behind that trio at 239. So that's definitely a point for Michigan State to focus on in this game. But I looked at it one step further because I felt that, you know, for one, if if Creighton isn't on top of their three-point shooting, it becomes very difficult for them to win games. If If those three are also cold from the field in terms of two-point attempts, it, it becomes really difficult. And the majority of their losses this season, uh, which I think was only five or six um, in total, came when those three didn't perform collectively well. Looking at that trio, in addition to Denzel Mahoney and one other player who, let me pull up real quick, uh, their, their tendency to shoot three-pointers versus anywhere else on the court. And surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, I should say, that trio at least attempts near 47 to 50% of their attempts from three, but they don't really have a ton of mid-range games. So it's either three or at the bucket, uh, approximately 30, 30%. That last player was Damian Jefferson. But, you know, that's that's what I'm thinking is if Michigan State, which I'm sure Tom Izzo is going to have a plan like this, is running them off the three-point line, it's going to be very easy for this team to focus on getting to the rim or adjusting to mid-range shots rotating along the perimeter and finding the next guy uh, that's equally as dangerous. So, you know, unfortunately we don't get to see this play out, but that would be my, my take on how at least Creighton handles this in the, the half court. I'm not sure if you see it differently, Eric, but you know, this, this, this differences between these two teams, as you've already pointed out, is definitely one physicality in favor of the Spartans. But two, for me, is going to be speed in terms of the Blue Jays being able to outposition some of the bigs for the Spartans. Yeah, I think definitely make good points there. And I'll be the first to say, I think teams that can get hot from the three-point line and make shots to the teams that always make their runs in these tournaments. Just look at Auburn last year. The main reason they got to the Final Four is because those dudes couldn't miss for about three straight games from the round of 32 on. And UNC, unfortunately, got a... Got a slap in the face with that. Um, <laughs> just had to bring it up, right? Yeah, I just had to bring it up because, you know, that's just ruining, ruining the dreams. But, um, yeah, but the interesting thing, I think the, the reason I see Michigan State being able to handle this game, number one, a lot of these dudes have been there before, have been in this situation before. I know, obviously, Creighton is a higher seed. Um but nonetheless, Creighton or uh, me, Michigan State has seniors, has guys that have been in the tournament, have been deep in the tournament before, uh, and they're capable of making runs. Obviously, I already mentioned Cash Swinston and Xavier Tillman. Then you got a guy like Aaron Henry, um, a guy like Gabe Brown, Kyle Aarons, all who have been there, done that, uh, have just had that experience. And I think that is a big deal when it comes to. Uh, the, the tournament and uh, that's kind of the way how I see it going here. Michigan state just being able to run them off three point. Like I said, Michigan state has a top 10 field goal percentage defense and three point field goal percentage defense in the country, uh, which obviously 
stats aren't aren't saying at all, but it's kind of hard to use or it's kind of hard to predict the game without looking too much into the stats at this point, obviously, because it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so I think the way that the Spartans just hang their hat on defense and have a guy like Cassius Winston who can take control of a game, whether that's passing it to the guy that's hot or him getting the ball and being capable of scoring 30 a game, uh, I just think his his ability to, to lead the game and to control the game uh, under under Coach Izzo's coaching and then just using the young these young guys that they have the, to just to get the most out of. I know Michigan State hasn't shot the ball great this year, but one thing they don't do is turn it over. For our matchup between Creighton and Michigan State in the Sweet 16, theoretically Michigan State would have already beaten number 14 Bradley and number 6 Virginia, which likely would have been a very tightly contested game. The Cavaliers were playing very great moving into the tournament. And Creighton would have beaten number 15, Arkansas Little Rock, and also had a victory over number seven, Illinois. Eric, where do you see Michigan State winning this game? I see Michigan State winning this game on the back of one Cassius Winston and in the paint with uh, the physicality of Xavier Tillman, uh, Gabe Brown, Willie Call, guys like that down low, uh, Aaron Henry willing to willing to bang it out. I think Michigan State can dominate the glass in this situation. I think they win the rebounding war by seven plus. And I think at the end of the day, in order for Michigan State to win, which I assume that they would have uh, per this matchup happening, I think they're going to have to run Creighton off the line and have them shoot less than 35% from the three-point line, which Creighton did not do much during during the span of the season. But with Michigan State's uh, stout defense and uh, Izzo's ability just to coach on both ends of the court. I think that's where Michigan State would win this one. I don't think Cash Swinch necessarily has to score 30, 35 points per se, but I think he has to be obviously in control with the ball in his hands, and he just kind of picks and chooses what what's open and just plays at the tempo they want to play. And if they do that, I think that's how they would end up winning this game. Um, I'm actually glad you say that because my, my view of Creighton and what they need to do is that my my view of Michigan State's roster is that you know Cassius Winston and and Xavier Tillman are are the the go-to players are the best performers are the most seasoned on this team but outside of that the Spartans really need you know accessory players to step up have big games not necessarily uh you know 20 point outings but they at least need to be uh, at their average for the season or a little above it. Um, they only have one other guy on the roster that scores in double digits. You know, so I think Creighton can play this one much like they did during the rest of the year. They they play straight man-to-man. They let um, Christian Bishop, their center, who's six seven uh, and is probably giving up, you know, 30 to 40 pounds to Xavier Tillman in this one, still play it one-on-one focus in on, you know, preventing penetration, Cassius Winston and forcing, you know, Gabe Brown, Aaron Henry, Rocket Watts, uh, all the other perimeter players to step up, knock down the three-pointer, which is something this team isn't necessarily uh, proficient at, their their average. But, um, you know, defensively, I think that's that's how Creighton has to play, you know, hoping that, that one of these other guys has a, a great game in order for them to lose. Offensively, you know, Creighton's such a, a, a great offensive team. Um, their trio has has beaten 225 other teams in terms of the pure number of three-pointers they made. 
uh, by themselves. But I think the key, you know, obviously making shots is a good trend for any team to win games. But in order to get the best advantage and get the best shots for a Michigan team that's very disciplined, is going to stay at home, they're not going to gamble excessively, is to push the pace a little bit. You know, I, I watched the Michigan State-Maryland game, uh, which I think Maryland is very reminiscent of the way Creighton plays. They have one big who's athletic and by no means is Christian Bishop and Jalen Smith's class. But in terms of the guards, the size is very similar for these guys. The way they play is very similar. And the, the way Maryland had success in that game was by running uh, a little more up-tempo, running more transition. And what happened with that is centers like Marcus Bingham, Xavier Tillman were taken out of the play. They become winded on the offensive end, aren't as great shooting the ball, you know, and, and I think that leads to more easy buckets and trips to the foul line for Creighton. For sure. And I, how I foresee this player now, I would assume Creighton would definitely pack it in a little bit more than normal and send a double team on Xavier Tillman when he gets it. Uh, like you said, Michigan State only has one well, two guys, I guess, that are in the main rotation, if you want to call it, that shoot over 40% from three, and that's Cassius Winston and then Thomas Kithier, who plays about 13 minutes a game. So, obviously, he's not uh, a main rotation guy, but he still gets in. So, I think the Creighton Blue Jays definitely have to force Michigan State to beat them from the three-point line. Uh, and then, like you said, block out, which is the biggest thing. Where I think Michigan State has the advantage, like I said earlier, is – Creighton has to keep them off the glass if they want to maintain a chance in this game. But then back to your point, if they do get that defensive rebound and get out and go, I think they'll give them a lot of success. And just being obviously undersized, kind of play the small ball with multiple guys that can score for Creighton. So you can't really focus on two guys like you can't say for Michigan State. So if Creighton rebounds and can keep the rebounds even, possibly even or just lose by a couple, then you're right. I think their chances do go up. But if Michigan State can use that physicality and can keep the tempo that they want to keep it at, then I like the chances of Michigan State winning this one. So I think this game comes down to the wire. Uh, I think it's uh, similar to Michigan State's big shot last year against Duke to to move them into the Final Four. Obviously, this would be the Sweet 16 going to the Elite Eight, but I think it's similar situation where Michigan State's going to have to make a play late in the game. But like I said, when the ball's in the hands of Cassius Winston, I've probably said this all year, a good thing usually will happen, and Izzo, man, he just he gets it done for some reason in March. So I think if they get this far, then they got a good chance of making a run uh, late in this tournament. If it was if it was to happen, unfortunately, <laughs> well, I got Michigan State winning by a score of seventy four to seventy. Interesting. So I was I was gonna say, and and I will agree with your your point going back a little bit to uh, Creighton's inefficiencies on on the glass i think in you know 90 percent of their games they were on the losing end of that battle but you know i think that that speaks more volumes to how well this team shoots the ball and you know may not be as big of an issue from from my perspective in, in terms of xavier tillman they've gone against some guys previously you know with similar stature and, and have been able to to come out fine but i was gonna say in terms of the score of this game projecting the first one to 70 wins but i would think that you know obviously i'm picking creighton but i would see more of a 70 to 65 game in, in the blue jays favor you know i haven't seen many many games this season where 
you know, even if you expect a team to run more up tempo, is Michigan State reaching 70 points? So I think they're going to have to have a tremendous shooting game in order for that to happen. But I, I certainly cannot count them out because of how well this team plays, typically how well they fight uh, and how disciplined they are. Uh, you know, it's, it's not in them to give up like some other teams would lay down at this point if they fall behind. And I think it's definitely going to be a grind. So I say Blue Jays by five. Yeah, no, I like that prediction. If if I was on the side of you as well and picking Creighton, I think it has to be honestly around the the first to seventy as well because the higher scoring it goes for Michigan State, the more offensive rebounds they're probably getting and the more possessions they're getting, which is getting them more points. So I think that's a that's a fair fair assumption. But we'll both take the win on this one and the next one because we're never going to know, man. <laughs> I I think i know of a couple websites to sim this not it that it's going to be uh entirely accurate so i'd be sure if any listeners are have have a method of doing this i'd be certainly interested to see how it plays out but likewise in our second game uh we wanted to hold this one off for a second since uh it's an elite eight matchup this would be taking place in the east region between number one dayton flyers and number three villanova wildcats Dayton would have wins over number 16, Robert Morris. Uh, And since we couldn't decide, they'd either be taking down number eight, Florida, or number nine, Colorado, as well as number four, uh, Maryland, or number five, Butler. On the other end, Villanova would have taken down number 14, Hofstra, and either number six, Penn State, or 11, UCLA, and as well as number two, Florida State. Uh, so, Eric, this is a, a big-time matchup. One, we didn't get to talk about Dayton much at all, aside from the Maui Invitational of the season. Um, but this is, you know, Obi Toppin, National Player of the Year. So this is definitely uh, an exciting matchup for these two teams. Oh, man, this this matchup just would make me extremely happy as a fan, a neutral fan, uh, not a obviously a fan of either team. But definitely respect both the programs and where they are and just the level of talent in this game and coaching and consistency that we've seen throughout. Obviously, Villanova, a much more known program throughout the past however many years you want to say. But the story of Dayton, obviously, coming out of nowhere, having the National Player of the Year, the National Coach of the Year, uh, just makes you uh, want to root for them even more probably But what you Everyone figured out about Obi Toppin really quickly, and man, is he uh, is he NBA ready? A little sneak peek. We'll get into that into a later episode, but yeah, it's hard to start anywhere else. But with Obi Toppin, and I just will let you know, I did not pick Obi Toppin to win this game, but I think Ian and I can both agree that we filled out these brackets, and then both at times leading up to this podcast, we both thought. I don't know if that's the right pick. I'm going to pick it back. But you know what? We're sticking with what we put down because that's what we got to do. So uh, I did go with Villanova, uh, and Ian did go with the Flyers. I think Villanova, the matchup is an obvious one that I think is just one that everyone would love to see is Sadiq Bey uh, of Villanova, the 6'8", uh, forward against Obi Toppin, National Player of the Year, obviously top five pick most likely coming up in this NBA draft. And I love this matchup specifically with Obi Toppin offensively and Sadiq Bay defensively. Uh, there was multiple times this year where we saw Sadiq Bay guard the opponent's best player. Uh, I know I remember back one game we did for the game of the week was Villanova and Butler. 
And Sadiq Bey got the matchup of Kamar Baldwin. He did a great job of neutralizing him. I know Kamar Baldwin and Obi Toppin are two different animals. But nonetheless, my point being, Sadiq Bey has taken the best player on their team multiple times this year, and he's guarded positions one through five. Sadiq Bey's frame is honestly very similar to Obi Toppin. Sadiq Bey is, what, 6'8", 200 and some change, 216 pounds. Uh, and Obi Toppin, I forget how tall they have listed that, 6'9", 220. So you're looking at very similar similar builds here. Obviously, I think Obi Toppin is the better player and I think does obviously will do some good things if this matchup came about. But I think just Villanova team-wise, their defense, their ability to have multiple guys score, rebound, assist with the basketball – uh, and do those things makes them makes them a tough team to to play once you get to the elite eight and with Jay Wright and company. Uh, I think they would just give Obi Toppin some some issues, uh, and I think that all starts with Sadiq Bay, and then obviously it kind of goes down to Colin Gillespie, their point guard, who is nothing outstanding but gets the job done and does what he's supposed to do. Uh, and then you got guys like Justin Moore and Jer- uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who have just kind of bought into their their role, I think, and Jay Wright's gotten the most out of those guys this year, I would say. So why do you like Dayton in this one, Ian? You know, obviously it starts with Obi Toppin being that player, but this team is incredibly balanced, you know, much like Villanova is and having uh, a bunch of guys reach double digits in scoring. This uh, The Flyers have four, uh, one in, including uh, their six-man, E.B. Watson, who's a transfer from Michigan. You know, but they're they're incredibly balanced and efficient, so it makes it incredibly difficult to for opposing coaches to to develop a plan that strays away from doubling Obi Toppin or making somebody else beat you because the team is so efficient. They're ranked twenty second in the nation uh, for field goals made, while taking the two hundred seventy first highest amount of attempts. So I don't know how many teams are going to be. You know, even in that that realm of of possibility of having, you know, super high amount of field goals made while taking minimal attempts, that's that's crazy. You know, but but being able to be develop mismatches all over the floor, having Obi Toppin step out, hit a three, having equivalent guys like Ryan Mikesell also be able to drain the three as well as everyone else on the in the lineup, I think that makes them incredibly dangerous. But going back to your initial point, you know, to me, these teams are essential mirror images of each other. We can talk about uh, Villanova much in the same way that we did Michigan State a little bit earlier, saying that their experience, their physicality, their effort is what wins them the day, aside from their ability to shoot so well. So for, for me, you know, aside from Dayton's ability to score the ball, I think it's very imperative for them to try to shut down Villanova's three-point shooting you know, whether it be Obi Toppin guarding Jeremiah Robinson Earl inside and letting Mike Sell guard Sadiq Bay on the perimeter. I don't know if that's the best option for them, like you said. Focusing on that and and being able to prevent that, because likewise for Creighton not being able to make a ton of shots, Villanova, if they're not draining threes, uh, you know, it becomes very difficult for, for them to win games. They're very reliant on that shot. Yeah, they they definitely are. Uh, Villanova they they will they will let it fly. But I think, like you said, if you could put one word to describe this matchup, it, it would be balanced for sure. Uh, like you already stated, Villanova 
has five guys that average over 10, and then Dayton has seven that average over, or no, six, excuse me, that average over seven points a game. I think certain matchups are more enticing. Like I said, obviously, I think Sadiq Bay and Obi Toppin would be a thriller for uh, any basketball fan to watch. But you got guys like Crutcher, Jalen Crutcher. You already mentioned E.B. Watson. Uh, Trey Landers for Dayton, and then Villanova, like I already mentioned, a couple of those other guys as well. I think it's going to be one of those guys that we don't talk about as much uh, that steps up and makes the, makes the plays in this game. And for Villanova, the guy that I think that is, is either Jeremiah Robinson Earl, uh, who obviously we talk about, but not to the point of Sadiq Bain, Obi Toppin, or a guy like Justin Moore, who's shooting at an extremely high level this season um at almost 40 percent from three and kind of just feeds off of everyone else uh the other thing to mention Sadiq Bay not only I've only really spoke on his defensive prowess but when you look at his offensive two he's got really good numbers 48 from the field 45 from three uh 77 from the free throw line he's kind of just done it all for this team on both ends uh only a sophomore uh but I think Jay Wright has done a great job of putting this group of guys uh, in spots to be successful. And don't get me wrong, it's going to be no easy task for uh, this Villanova team to stop the number one field goal percentage offense in the nation. But I think Jay Wright, just being the coach he is, just has a game plan ready for these guys. I think Villanova arguably plays harder than a lot of other teams in the country, I think Jay Wright gets, gets the best out of them. And I think they're going to have to hit a lot of shots in this game to win. Obviously, I think we're, we're looking at a high-scoring game in this one, which you would think wouldn't favor Villanova. But I think Villanova just, just sits down defensively and holds, holds them to a reasonable number, definitely below their, their average. I think if – if Dayton gets to their average of 80 points a game, then I think Villanova really, they have a chance, but I think it goes down to about 5%. <laughs> so I, I'm just going to believe in Jay Wright uh, and Villanova in this one that they can kind of control Obi Toppin. And like you said, balance is very key, but when you look at Obi Toppin and the rest of his team, I think that drop-off is a lot worse than looking at Sadiq Bay going down uh, on Villanova. And that obviously is giving credit to Toppin, but also giving credit to just the balance of Villanova and what they have to offer. So my final score in this one, I think it would be Villanova 81, Dayton 74. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're thinking pretty similar there. I'm curious if you have a point similar to what I'm about to say about Dayton in terms of what Villanova's weaknesses are, um, specifically in Dayton's ability to guard the pick and roll. Uh, and I think this is all, you know, based on how comfortable big men are in guarding pick and roll, some more than others. From what I saw against Kansas, having a, a, a player like Devon Dotson who can move downhill just as well as he can shoot the ball, Ryan Mikesell was often the guy that that had to guard him moving downhill, and he would give plenty of cushion for mid-range shots to become an issue. Uh, and I think that's a particular area where a guy and a guard like Colin Gillespie can come and make a huge impact. 
you know, dangerous inside, outside, very cerebral guy, high IQ. You know, having having that ability to make Mike Sell take a step or two back and hit an elbow jumper is something that could happen time and again in this matchup. I'm I'm not sure if you saw anything like that or or any chink in the armor, so to say, for Villanova that you were worried about for Dayton, Eric? Uh, yeah, I think something that Villanova does uh, differently than a lot of teams, I think they do more off-ball stuff than a lot of teams see, whether that's handoffs, down screens, back screen, cross screens. Uh, obviously, we look at the game today of basketball, and it's a, it's a whole lot of pick and roll. And so I think Villanova offensively going away from that a little bit. Now, they still do ball screen quite a bit, 15% pick and roll ball handler. Uh, using our our center my synergy tool that I usually use for that information, but I think stuff like cuts per se. So that's the categories they have on on synergy. Just for our listeners, is spot up, uh, transition, handoff, cut, isolation, post up, uh, so on and so forth. But I think cutting uh, is what the term is here for Villanova offensively, and they've been really successful at that over a point per possession this year and. I think just the amount that Villanova does off ball could create problems for Dayton just because they don't see it often. Uh, some stuff, you know, it's hard. You can't prepare for it really until it's there. And I think with the way Villanova uh, has different types of offense that uh, can, can rely without a ball screen, I think is where they can present the most trouble for the Dayton Flyers. And I think the longer – possessions they can have honestly and keep it a slower pace uh and just work Dayton defensively make them guard for a full 25 30 seconds and then score I think is where they kind of find their their advantage in this one per se and then obviously getting stops of their own and then getting out and transition a little bit and just knowing when when to go when to not to go and just just kind of lull to sleep Dayton defensively per se if that's what you want to call so that's kind of how I see Villanova winning this one yeah, I, I think these teams are exceptionally matched. They're they're very equal. I, I actually don't think it's going to be as high of a scoring game as as you had it, Eric. I think that would be my initial hunch. But I'm I'm actually thinking more like a 68-66 kind of game. Um, I think both of these teams are going to hunker down, make longer possessions. I think Dayton may be a little more suited to run up-tempo or, or at least in transition off of turnovers. Any time that Villanova is able to, uh, you know, one, one through five, they're capable of shutting down transition play. So I think that they're they're much better suited towards keeping this into a grinded out game, running down the shot clock, finding the best shot, and and you know hoping that it's the best look you can get every possession. You know, both these teams are going to go at each other's throats. So I think having a, a more manageable game, and as I said earlier, I think these teams are very much mirror images of each other. You know, I, I picked Dayton and, and reviewing film. I wanted to go the other way, and you were the exact same way wanting to go to Dayton. So, you know, I, I don't think we're very far off in our interpretation of this, but I'd say 68-66. say the least, we're missing out on a great matchup if this was per se to happen. But want to keep it on a positive note here, so we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> and again, if anyone has any way to simulate these games, please tag us after uh, on Twitter uh, at campus hoops and we'll we'll be happy to, to post that and see what kind of 
result we get, you know, even though the game can't be played, we're we're happy to have some finality to it. We want to move into our mini game now where we start one player, sub a player, and bench a player. Uh, we're each going to ask each other a question. We want to move into our mini game now where we start one player, sub a player, and bench a player. Uh, we're each going to ask each other a question uh, and, and see, you know, where where the other one thinks these players should should be ranked on on their own team. I'm sure you guys have seen this on social media before. I've I've seen it plenty, Eric. I'm sure you have too. But why don't you go ahead and start us off and, and uh, see what we got. All right. The first three I got for you, and we're going to do one each for today, as you guys know. And we're going to do not only – we just got to pick. We can either do former players or current players, but we're going to keep them somewhat recent so we can all have a fresh, good memory of these people. So, the three I got for you, a trio of point guards, Ian. One, uh, who we just recently talked about in today's podcast, Cassius Winston. Next one is Jalen Brunson, the national champion. And the last one is Steph Curry. I think you know that name. A little bit, yeah. I- ironic, I have Brunson in mind, too, so this will be fun. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so... We're we're talking about this collectively, correct? Yeah, like, yeah. Just so, in general. Yeah, we're just gonna do well. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to do total, or do you want to keep it just in the college career? Oh, college for sure. Yeah. So just so just total college career. Okay, man. I I don't know if there's any right way to do it without getting chastised, but I I, I think what I'm gonna do is start Jalen Brunson. I'm going to sub Steph Curry and I'm going to bench Cassius Winston. Now I, I say that and you know, I I don't even know if I want to keep my answer, but um, uh, so I, you know, I always love guards that can score and you know, when, when I played, that was my position. So that's what I tend to think like, but you know, having, having a guard like Steph being able to come in and produce and, and, uh, you know, provide a a dynamic aspect to your team is super important uh, type of guy that I would want. But it was hard for me to pick between Brunson and Winston because I think they play so similarly. Having that scoring aspect, albeit not on the same level that Steph was able to do it, you know, having tons of 30-point games, being able to, you know, drain five threes in a row, uh, actually more than that. But having guys that can facilitate on the floor, be you know these uh, above average defensive guys super physical and i feel like jalen brunson was was able to do that to a, a much better level you know this this is so hard man uh Cassius winston you know i have so much respect for him especially what he went through this year but i don't feel right benching anyone <laughs> oh there's probably no right answer in this well that's i think that's the point of them though yeah, just, just to have some more fun with it, we can put this on the Twitter page, and for our listeners, we we want your opinion on this too. Yes, uh, and you'll probably be wrong as well, but so will we. So we'll <laughs> and, we'll see who can argue the best. And and by the way, we'll be posting both of our complete brackets that we did, so you can kind of see our our thoughts on uh, how we would have thought things would have played out based on Joe Lenardi's uh, seating of of the teams. But Eric, the the trio I have for you is also. Um, they're all point guards. They're all 6'3", between 190 and 195 pounds. 
and they all played at Villanova. Oh, wow. So Colin Gillespie, who we talked about today, you have Jalen Brunson and Ryan Archie Diacono. Okay. All right, so I'm not going to lie. Immediately, I'm going to sub Gillespie, or bench Gillespie, I'm sorry. Bench Gillespie. And looking at those next two, man, you got Archie Diacono, who just got it done on both ends of the court. Got Jalen Brunson, who is probably a better scorer. So I'm going to do it backwards. I'm going to bench Gillespie. I'm going to I'm going to sub Archie Diacono, and I'm going to start Brunson. So we're both starting Brunson. We're getting on the Brunson bandwagon here, it sounds like, Ian. Oh, I I, I loved him, and I'm jealous that your Mavs ended up <laughs> drafting him. Yeah, uh, yeah, healing up from his torn labor right now, but we, we're ready for him to get back on the court. And, yeah. Uh, no, he's definitely been a great second-round pick for the Mavs, but keeping it on, on track here with Brunson, I, yeah, I think the reason I pick him – First of all, like you said, I think his ability to score, um, especially in college, it, it didn't. It's not going to translate, obviously, over to the NBA as much as it did um, in college, just because he had a very unique ability uh, to score, and he loved going back to the basket, honestly, in that post to mid post, and really was successful around that area when they went on their runs and throughout his whole career. But I think also it's just very similar to Cassius Winston in the way that he led his teams. I think when the ball was in his hands, you just felt good. Um, I'm sure Jay Wright felt great. I know as a, as this is a fan of basketball watching, it was fun to watch him because I knew he was going to most likely make the right play and get guys in the right situation. Now, Jalen Brunson, I will say Brunson probably played on the best team and with the best players. You got obviously the Michael Bridges, the Eric Pascal's, Dante DiVincenzo's. So maybe that made him look a little bit better, but nonetheless, I think, he gets a little bit of an edge. The only reason I would fight for Archie Diakono possibly above him is just the toughness and the grit and just the defensive ability that Archie Diakono had because um, he was on the floor. He was the man, He was the Aaron Kraft of his four years in my opinion. I think that's the guy that, I, that he reminds me of a lot, just doing whatever it takes, taking the charge, diving on loose ball, picking you up full court, uh, just those little things that Archie Diakono always did. But I think Brunson would win this one. Obviously, you have the championship, just the, the pedigree he has, the way he carries himself. I think I would take Brunson out of those three. So that's the exact same way I had him, to be honest. My my thinking is it's it's a little hard to decipher since they're practically all the same stature. They're all the exact same mold, the way that Jay Wright recruits those guys and, and tough-nosed players. But, yeah, I, I, I find it hard to, to switch it any other way. But I'm curious what you what you chose for your own question. Yeah. So I had, um, I had Steph Curry at one, um, and then Jalen Brunson second. And then I had Cassius Winston. So started, started Curry, uh, sub Brunson bench Winston. So we can both get the, get the rash, which is crazy that I'm even saying that. Cause I've probably talked about Winston, honestly, more than anyone I've talked about on this podcast, this, this season (laughs) so uh yeah it's super tough i think curry obviously he kind of was he was a similar honestly in that ob top and kind of talked to where he didn't come alive really until well this this one season that he blew up and then obviously the tournament is really what got 
him on the map. But yeah, his ability to score, I think, and just being able to shoot it from the range that he has and whatnot, I think it's just, just a special thing. Something that you kind of you can't replace, especially in today's game. The ability to shoot the ball, it's almost become a staple or a have to, um, unless you're six ten, have a forty five inch vertical and just rebound and block everything. So I think those type of guys there's a place on any roster for a guy that can shoot the ball like that. So yeah, I go start Curry, bench Brunson. Sub man, I am messing up <laughs> these words, man. Start Curry, sub Brunson, bench Winston. Yeah, it's it's so hard, and and uh, you know everyone we want to thank for sticking with us through the season and and uh, you know listening to our episodes. As always, please go to Apple Podcasts where you're probably listening to this episode and give us a review. Uh, share it with your friends. Um, we absolutely want any input you have, feedback, ideas you have for the show, mini games, whatever it may be, something we need to talk about more. We're, we're all ears and, and want to be able to provide a better uh, listening experience for you guys. Um, next week, we are actually going to continue. There's been a tons of activity on the transfer portal that we want to look at. Also, uh, some recruits, I believe, we're going to do, Eric. Is that right? Yeah, yep, I think that's the point. And then uh, we're going to look at, I think, three to five NBA prospects that have declared and, and trying to get a head start on all of that stuff. We're not exactly sure, as, as anybody is, if, if the combine's going to happen or if any of these guys are going to get a legitimate shot to rise through the ranks and, and approach the lottery. But, um, you know, we'll be keeping everyone up to date as best we can. As always, thank you for listening and hope everyone stays safe. Yep. See you guys. Stay healthy and God bless.